This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Popcorn. You can get now one bag and get a second bag for half off with the code BARKER at checkout. So if you like your snacks a little sweet, a little salty, a little mixture of both, go check out LamarMarie.com and all of the flavors that they have for your next snacking sensation. That is LamarMarie.com with code BARKER at checkout for buy one, get one, half off. You are listening to the Business Samurai Podcast. Growing a business is hard work. The faster you grow, the harder it is to keep yourself on the right path. Welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast, where we break down the fundamental skills necessary to become a well-rounded leader as you continue to conquer the world in your business. The best business-related podcast as you captain your own destiny and rise above the noise. To help your growth strategy in simple terms you will understand, you will learn the best metrics to track, how communication is the lifesaver when it comes to business, and how good policy will fix the weak link when it comes to cybersecurity. People, listen in on conversations with world-class business leaders and how they manage growth and integrate the latest technology. We will deconstruct their processes on how they choose to advance themselves, their team, and customers. You are stepping into a world of proactive business with your host, John Barker. Welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. I'm your host, John Barker. Got a special guest today. We've got Stacy Peterson. Stacy is an innovator. After failing in every conceivable way, including life itself, literally, Stacy chose to reinvent herself. She is now a sought-after keynote motivational speaker who gives audiences fun yet practical actions on how to overcome stress, handle change, be more resilient, and live a life that matters. Stacy is a trained comedian. She holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Theater and has performed stage, film, commercial, stand-up comedy, and radio work. She is the co-founder of the Academy of Children's Theater in Colorado Springs, as well as Ministry Center for the Arts. Stacy's humor is witty, creative, clean, and professional. She won first place out of all the comedians in Colorado's Got Talent. Congratulations. Thank you. Welcome to the talented and funny Stacy Peterson. Stacy, thanks for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So just so everybody gets a, a sense of how you kind of got on the, the path you're on, if you don't mind, can you go into your story regarding the, the, the you know, the terminal diagnosis and how that kind of sets you on the path and journey that you're on now? Sure. Um, I love talking about myself. So get <laughs> I'm going to kick back and mute my mic then. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll just share some of the things that people seem to think is interesting. Sure. Uh, one is that, true story, I was born in a one-room cabin with no running water or electricity. Wow. And I was potty trained in an outhouse because <laughs> So I grew up in the hippie lifestyle, sort of, um, except somewhere along the way they became conservative Republicans. And so I was raised with organic food and loving everyone. And at the same time, being a conservative and <laughs> joke that that's why I'm confused and became a comedian. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I had a very interesting upbringing, very, very rural. And then um, I had a really small school. So the whole school from seventh to 12th grade was a total of 72 students. And I had a really long bus ride to and from school and I would get bored and I would start making up characters in the back of the bus. <laughs> and I never knew what uh, acting really was at all. I hadn't had any exposure to the arts 
it wasn't actually until my junior year in high school. I had an English teacher who um, asked me if I'd ever thought of acting. And so she actually drove me two hours one way for an acting competition. And I did it. I did this little monologue, The Diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> and the, one of the judges pulled me aside and she said, hey, how long have you been acting? And I said, today. And so she told me about this program that she helped run where they took 60 students from around the world and they interned them with um, a, a very professional world-renowned theater. She encouraged me to apply. I got in and that was my very first experience with acting was at this world-renowned theater. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's this? <laughs> so my senior year, it was that same teacher um, brought me to another competition and I won a full-ride scholarship to study theater, which nice. is how I got my degree. Uh, I was so shy and I still to this day have such bad stage fright that I couldn't even look the other actors in the eye. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved the process and the storytelling and just the arts in general. Um, so I did well. I did theater, uh, started getting into some film work, and then I met my first husband, and we got married, and right afterwards he was like, hey, I don't really like this acting thing. So <laughs> I actually didn't act for 15 years. Oh, wow. But in the meantime, I had two beautiful children, and it was on my, uh, I was 30, when my first husband was diagnosed with a terminal illness and just at a short amount of time kind of like the whole world turned upside down and he was very sick at the time my kids were four and one and um at that time i started working two three jobs at a time sometimes just to keep food on the table and you know sometimes you have times in your life where you're just surviving and i was definitely in survival mode I did that for a couple of years. Um, unfortunately, that illness began to affect him mentally. So I ended up leaving that marriage, basically for the safety of myself and my kids. And nobody ever is like, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a single divorced mom. But <laughs> I had a good attitude about it. And I'm like, it's just a season, we'll get through it. Um, right before that divorce was final, I was building a children's musical theater set and I stepped on a rusty nail. Feel totally fine. I was in tetanus. And the day that I went to sign the paperwork over to the house, um, the, uh, the week of my uh, divorce, I started not feeling well. And to be honest, I don't remember much after that, but I almost died. And I remember <laughs> having the moment where I was like, huh, I think I'm dying. And I had a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first was what most people talk about, where you really wish you had spent more time with the people that you love, that life really is all about relationships. And I realized that I had spent so much time worrying and stressing and being in survival mode that I really had put relationships, just even with my children, kind of to the side. I was always too busy. The second thing I was like, what? You just worry and you stress and you work really hard and then you just die. And I remember I was kind of mad at God. I was like, that's <laughs> it. But I recognized that I had wasted most of my life being a people pleaser, basically. Like I was just trying to be what everybody said 
you're to be, if you're going to be a good person. And there were so many things that I had wanted to do that I didn't. And I had a lot of regrets. Um, obviously, I didn't die because that would be very creepy right now. This would be a, <laughs> hey, I bet, I bet this would get a lot of views. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, but what had happened was when I'd stepped on the nail, bacteria had gotten into my bloodstream and had traveled into some bones in my back. Um, basically, it was the SI joint for any who's in medical stuff. And the whole joint, the muscles, the bone, all of it had gotten infected and I was in septic shock. So if you've ever had a toothache, uh, it's like an infected tooth. It's like that, only it was like this really big area uh, of the bone and everything, and it was so painful. Um, when I left the hospital three weeks later, I couldn't walk, and because of that, I ended up losing my job. So basically, in three weeks' time, I had felt like I had lost my marriage, I'd lost my home, I'd lost my health. I'd lost uh, my ability to take care of my children. I lost my financial security. And a lot of people at my main job um, had been a support system for me. So I felt like my entire life was just severed. <laughs> and, but I still had a good attitude. And I'm like, it's just a season. Um, and then to make a short story long, the infection has come back five different times. Um, I've done surgery, uh, months of IV antibiotics daily. I was on um, antibiotics for eight years straight, and I am written up in the New England Journal of Medicine because my case <laughs> is so rare because they don't know why they could never kill the infection. And also, too, I'm allergic to three of the four strains of antibiotics. So they had told me, once you become immune to this particular strain, there's nothing we can do for you. Um, I did good through a lot of it, but each time the infection came back, I got a little less resilient, to put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> and the fourth time I, uh, I had the infection had come back, I had had surgery. I did 12 weeks of daily IV antibiotics. And they were like, you are good. It's never going to come back. We took care of it. And it was four weeks to the day I stopped the antibiotics. And it came back. And that is when I fell apart. I was diagnosed with PTSD from almost dying so much. And I really went through about, I would say, a year and a half of really severe depression. Just all the loss, all the striving, all the surviving. It just finally, I was done. And it, it was a dark time for me, but I did some things. I knew that it was, and I knew that I wasn't being myself and that it wasn't forever. And so I slowly made choices one by one. It was very painful to uh, do the work to get out of that place. And so now uh, I'm not dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do still sometimes struggle with PTSD, but I've learned so much about how to manage that to the best of my ability. And, uh, and I get to do what I love now. So uh, I got back into acting, stumbled into clean comedy. And now the best uh, that I love so much is being able to speak and 
normally it's funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, I tell my story, which is a little bit dark, uh, but it's just been the greatest gift actually to be able to do what I do now and to be able to share and give advice uh, because I've been there, unfortunately. And unfortunately, lots of people have been there over these last two years. So I know I'm not alone in that struggle. No, and and hearing the stories has got. I'm trying to figure out a way which way I want to approach a couple of things. So let me let me go back. You know, you you grew up. You have this interest in in theater and acting. How hard was it for you not having necessarily a supportive spouse that kind of really crushed that for that period of time? And what were you doing? That you know, what were you doing? You know, what was kind of that work during that time period? And were you just hating life because of that lack of support? Um, so no one's ever asked me that. It was devastating, uh, to me because theater was just so much a part of where I found myself. I wasn't ever like my sister and my brother were straight A students. My family is very, very athletically gifted. Uh, my mom could pitch the ball for softball so fast that in her 40s, she could still pitch it at 70 miles an hour. So I grew up nice. on the ball field. I, um, but I did not get that gift. <laughs> I did not get the straight A gift. And so they, both my brother and my sister ended up being Marines. Um, they both have done very well. And so I was black sheep of the family, the middle child. And um, so when I found theater, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is me. Um, but I was already married. And so I was like, that was kind of the deciding factor. I'm like, well, I'm married. I just got to And so I just made the choice. Um, I didn't resent or hate my life. Um, sometimes I had to stay away from any, like I couldn't go to a show. Um, I couldn't talk about acting, anything like that, because it was like a trigger for me. And, but I knew I had made the choice. Like it was up to me. So I owned the choice. And then once I had kids, I was like, oh, you know, I loved being a mom. Um, I did do a lot of writing during that time. I did some of the weirdest jobs. I have sold cars. <laughs> <laughs> I was so good at it because. All I would do, it was uh, one-ton trucks. It was what they <laughs> I knew they didn't want to buy a car from some 20-year-old woman. So they would come in and I would be like, here's the keys. Let me know if you want it. I never even went outside. I didn't know anything about the car. I sold so many cars. So <laughs> <laughs> then they would just drop the paperwork because I didn't sell at all. Uh, so I did. I just did a lot of. I've done a lot of jobs, especially when my husband was sick. Like there was times I had like a main job, but I remember one job I was rotating dog food and at the pet stores um, and you get co covered in hair and urine, um, cleaning stables. Cause I grew up, you know, agriculture. So I did a lot of interesting work. Um, it wasn't until the divorce that I was like, Maybe I should get back in, but I thought, oh, I'm a mom. I've been out of it. No one is going to want me back. Like, I'm too old. I lost my chance. And I had a friend talk to the top talent agency in Colorado. And she was like, you have to get this person an audition. 
and she set it up. If she hadn't, I, I don't know that I ever would have. And I walked in and I did my thing and the agent said, where have you been? I was like, I don't know. And he said, here, you look terrible. You look like a mom and I will put you to work. And he did. And I really appreciate that. You know, he really, he took a risk because I hadn't done anything in so long. No, that's awesome. And so then would you say those, the, the life experiences you had, you know, between me, between your husband and between you going through all of your medical journey, that stress, that anxiety, you know, the depression you talked about led into, you know, kind of crafting your, your keynotes and your motivational talks. Is, is that what, you know, kind of was the foundation Did you transition into that type of stuff after all of your life experiences, you know, as in, yeah, what happened was I stumbled into comedy. I didn't know what I didn't know what stand-up comedy was. I I didn't know it. You know, I grew up without it. I had no clue what it was. I didn't even see paint and drywall until I was twenty-two. So that's <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Why does everybody's house look so nice?" And now I look back, I'm like, "It was called paint and drywall." Uh, <laughs> I um. With the comedy, I had st- I was writing scripts for other people actually during that time when I wasn't, okay. and they would always come out a bit humorous. So I finally got an opportunity um, to present basically like this. What I thought it was a one woman show. Uh, turns out it was stand up. Who knew? I didn't know. So I delivered it, and then I got hired off of it for the very first time. Um, basically one of the women in the audience, her dad had a construction company. They needed somebody to do their holiday corporate party. <laughs> they paid me $300, uh, for the night. And I didn't even know that kind of money existed. I was like, what is this? <laughs> so I really went hardcore in a way into the comedy world, um, but it was never fulfilled. And during that time, I was, you know, going through a lot of the illness and so forth. I, I, I just, it was, people were like, oh, it's such a gift to make people laugh. And it is. But it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't until I was at a conference that I got hired as a comedian. And they started asking me to share, hey, we want you to be funny. But can you tell us how you got through all that stuff? And... <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's how that worked. And now I love it because it's, you know, I get to do both. I get to encourage people who are struggling, um, especially now. Um, I, I really believe in getting help for any type of mental health. You know, I've been there. Uh, and I just want to destigmatize that because it's courageous to get help. But just all of it, of being able to help, being able to make people laugh. It's like, oh, it was worth <laughs> all the pain. Although I do get tired. I still have the infection. Like, I, so, um, you know, I have days where I'm tired and I struggle and I'm not what I was physically. Um, but, I, you know, I am a walking miracle, literally, because I didn't think I'd walk. So, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for the life that I have, even when I'm tired and cranky. Yeah. <laughs> so, so comedians can even be tired and cranky. Yes. At times. Oh. <laughs> so what you hit on this, I mean, it, it's felt like to me for the past 
you know, several years, if not even even before all of the, you know, the lockdowns and the shutdowns happened, that we're we're living in this period where everybody has is holding anxiety, whether it's, you know, and I kind of put that in two things. You're in a situation that you can't control that you must remove yourself from is the only way to make it go away. Or or some of us just perceived, you know, we're just constantly worrying about stuff. And you obviously have went through and overcome a tremendous amount. What what kind of tips or or things to try to change that mindset to be able to be in the moment and get past some of that? Do you usually, you know, what's that message that you purvey to other people? Sure. Um, well, there was times I was really heavily drugged. That helped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, but I figured, I'd, let me see if I can do it where we should volunteer. <laughs> um, yeah, I was off for seven years because I learned how to manage it. And then since that happened, 2021, the beginning of 2021, I was like, oh, everything I know to do wasn't working. And I'm the kind of work now, I'm like, I immediately will ask for help. Here's my thing with asking for help with struggling with anxiety or depression or any kind of mental illness is why be miserable even one more day if we don't have to right right like why live that way you don't have to and to me it was the most courageous thing i did through all of it was to recognize i'm not myself this is not who i am this isn't the life that i want these aren't the thoughts that i want to have i don't want to feel this way and i don't know how to get out of it so I recognized, I, I, I was like, I need somebody to tell me how to get out of it. And, um, and that was, you know, people have opinions. And I've just learned that I don't really give a crap about people's opinions. <laughs> I do, because I'm still a recovering people pleaser. Uh -huh. But it's not enough to affect the quality of my life. What I will say is that I feel that my story used to be unique. In that I had lost a home, I had lost my health, I had lost my job, I had lost relationships. Like there was too much in my life, there was too much change at once to process. Uh -huh. But when I look at the pandemic, I see people going through the exact same thing. Some people have lost their health, some people are struggling still with COVID. They've lost relationships, they've lost their work, their sense of security, um, they may have lost their homes. Um, and it's, again, it's too much change to process in too short amount of time. So one of my biggest messages through COVID is that it's totally okay to not be okay. It means that you're normal and human. Why would you be okay? <laughs> so I'm not one of those motivational speakers who's like, just be happy. <laughs> I, don't believe that. I, I think it's human and it's natural to have negative feelings and and fear it's just what we do with those and so the first thing is just to you know one of the biggest things for me was that i realized people would say to me they'd be like well you'll get through it or you don't have faith or just be positive and nobody ever took the time to acknowledge the pain and the loss that i had gone through and it was huge for me the day I remember where I was and everything, the day I realized that for people, your pain is priceless. And this is what I mean, is that when we go through something painful in our life, 
something precious or priceless is taken from us. It can be our financial security. It can be a relationship. It could be our innocence. It could be all kinds of things. But something was taken from us that was so valuable without our permission. And our natural instinct when we're hurt is to do this. Um, and then our natural instinct here in the United States is just to be like, well, just move forward, just get on it. And nobody yeah. takes this moment to say, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. That is a lot. Of course she would be upset. Of course, you know, when you say, well, I have a right to feel the way I feel, you totally do. You totally do have a right to feel the way you do. And I felt like that was an element that was missing for me. So if any of you are struggling and you're like, this pandemic, you know, my family life is a mess or my finances are a mess or my work life is so stressful, you have every right to feel angry or scared or nervous or all those uncomfortable feelings. But what I recognized was I had two choices. I could either live the rest of my life like this uh, you know, I kind of think about the drunk uncle. Most of us have like a drunk uncle or a drunk great uncle who went home and sat in his recliner after work and cracked open the beer and was just angry at everyone all the time. And it was kind of really just because he's hurt and that's his thing with the world. Um, and I was like, well, I could be a drunk uncle. Um, although I have accidentally on occasion been a drunk aunt. It's, <laughs> I have a whole story on that. <laughs> There's a reason you're not supposed to mix alcohol with uh, prescription medication. I just had a family event. Um, so, oh, so your picture is going to be on the bottles down the road? <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I, I was like, I can either hang on to my pain or I can do the hard road and learn to let it go and give it away. And that's what I chose. And it sucked. Like, people also don't say that. They're like, well, just forgive or just think positive. They don't recognize that there's a process and it's really hard. Um, I liken it to how it was when I wasn't able to walk. When I was in the hospital, if you told me I could run a marathon, there's, I couldn't even get out of bed. I couldn't even, if you told me to make it to the door, I couldn't do it. But I knew I didn't want to be in a hospital bed forever. So I was like, okay. So I literally had to take it one teeny tiny step at a time. Where I'd be like, I couldn't even roll over. It was so painful. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to learn to roll over. I'm going to learn to sit up. I'm going to learn to swing one leg off the bed. And then I was with a walker. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put my head down because it hurts so bad and take it one step at a time. And now I can hike for miles. You know, it always aches a little bit, um, but it's nothing, like I, half the time I don't even notice. And I think the same is true with emotional or mental pain, where if I was, if you're going through something really hard, and maybe you're going through a divorce or, you know, just something in your life that's really, really challenging, if I'm like, well, just be happy, you'll be fine. You can't think that far ahead. It has to be broken down into something like, you know, can you just get out of bed today? Can you make a phone call to the counselor? Can you, you know, get some sunlight on your face or go for a 10 minute walk? It's all these little things um, to get you to the bigger space. And then one day you'll turn around and go, oh my gosh, 
And if it's something really, really hard, maybe the loss of a loved one, that ache might always be there a tiny bit, but you'll be able to move forward and embrace that. Uh, and then I learned from trial and error of what works for me and what doesn't work for me. So when it comes to anxiety, nowadays, it's not like all of a sudden I never experience fear because I'm amazing. That's not it. I still struggle very much with anxiety. It's just that I know what to do in that moment. You know, some people can meditate. I'm not one of them. I've tried it. I'm like, because they're like, just be in the moment and I'll try and be in the moment. And my kids are fighting and the dog is barking. And I'm like, but the moment is what's stressing me out. Right? <laughs> Get me out of the moment. <laughs> but you know, it's things like recognizing, oh, I need to go for a walk outside. That's huge for me because I grew up outside. Um, doing things that I enjoy. Uh, and just those little positive relationships, having a sense of purpose. There are all these things that you can do. Gratitude is probably one of the biggest for me uh, with anxiety. Um, and here's what I'll share with that is a lot of times we're so, uh, uh, you know, what if I, you know, it's my job or what's going to happen in a month if I get sick. And, and I have to stop myself and say, okay. Do I have, and I keep the bar very low. I'll say, do I have a toothbrush? Yes, I do. Do I have a working light bulb? Yes, I do. Do I have indoor plumbing? Yes, I do. Do I have electricity? Yes, I do. Do I have food in the refrigerator? I do, which means I'm richer than 90% of the rest of the world because I have a light bulb and a toothbrush and a flushing toilet. And it's like, okay, I have everything I need today. Um, and then it's, um, there is kind of an equation that can work for people. It's um, saying something you're grateful for um, about other people. So grateful for people that you have in your life, one person. Grateful for one thing about yourself grateful for um, one of the supplies or one of the assets that you have, which could be, well, I have running water. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> I don't have to spend six hours hooking stuff in a bucket, right? right? Um, so it's one asset that I have uh, that can help me get through something. And then the fourth one is the positive is, what am I learning from my current challenges? Nobody really wants to talk about that, but what am I learning from my current challenges? So that one, if it fails or it falls apart or everything I'm getting through, um, you know, it can get me forward. Here's the thing with gratitude is that it literally, literally rewires your brain. I think, I believe that it's uh, six weeks-ish or so but if you do it every day, you either need to write it down or say it out loud. There's something about not just thinking, but getting it out um, tangibly that helps rewire your brain. So if you're miserable, it's a wonderful place to start, especially if you struggle with anxiety, is I encourage you to start with gratitude. Even if it's just, what one thing do you have? What one thing? And you can feel like, what am I to be grateful for? Again, if you have your own toothbrush, right? You're right. <laughs> so, so keep the bar low. Uh, <laughs> that's how that works. 
So things like that, I just have learned to practice and knowing who I am. Um, and I think that also just knowing that it's just normal. It's just, nobody talks about that. It's normal to get freaked out when things aren't in your control. Like it's a survival thing. So again, it's just kind of how, what we do with it and how we can reframe. And it's kind of like with everything, it's, uh, you know, it just takes practice and failing and learning. Did, going through all of that and, and now, you know, you're, you're kind of doing, you know, the work you're doing is what you want to do. Did that, did those life experiences get past you past, past some like business fears that you have, you know, people are, you know, they say they're more afraid of public speaking than, you know, like death itself in some cases, but those experiences, you're like, Oh, this crap's easy. Now I, I went through some stuff that almost legitimately killed me. So uh, bring it, bring it my way. Let's roll. Oh, I definitely know to bring it. I'm like, don't bring it. <laughs> you've had enough being, you've had enough oh being brought. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, what I will say, cause I still have stage fright. I still get nervous every single time before I step on stage. I've learned the process of what I do and what my thoughts are and how it works. Like I just, failed my way to success. I just have done it so much and taken so many sure. risks that it's like, it's not that it goes away. I just embrace it. I'm like, okay, this is the part where I hate myself and say to myself, why did I agree to get up in front of these people? <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, so yeah, and I think that especially now recognizing that I'm not alone, that so many people are struggling, it feels almost, um, it just gives me a great sense of purpose, which is what keeps me going through the fear and the failure. And you know, the studies do show that having that sense of purpose, whether it's providing for yourself or having something that you believe in that's bigger than yourself, um, really helps you get through things, become more resilient, because it's no longer about yourself and your comfort. It's about helping other people. And I think, I mean, what's happening with Ukraine right now, I, I'm not an expert. All I will say is that they have a greater sense of purpose, the Ukrainian people, so much so that they're now willing to risk their lives in fighting back for their freedom. That is something that sometimes we lose sight of is we don't have that sense of purpose of why am I putting myself out there? And I think that's why we see the participation. I think if we don't know what it is that means something to us and the goals that we have for ourselves, it's really hard to get through the day to day. It's really hard to do the survival mode. It's much more fulfilling to have that sense of purpose to know why you're getting up you know, I had kids. I'm, I'm not going to quit. Um, that's a large part of it, you know, that they, they need to be provided for and taken care of. And, you know, and I feel like I have a message and it would be kind of selfish if I can help someone and just because I'm nervous to keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, when it comes to like business, business stuff, like sales, I'm still terrible. 
it. <laughs> <laughs> like so many courses, they're just things you're gifted at, and then there's things that it's just not your thing. That's everything is a learning curve. Well, I know we're we're uh, cl close to time, uh, and I wanted to I wanted to kind of wrap with this. You know, you're out there. You're in a position where you're putting yourself out there, and we are living in a heavily, heavily critical criticizing world right now that it doesn't matter what you say somebody will find a reason to hurl bricks at your head hypothetically or you know on social media is how how do we navigate the 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 loud squeaky wheels that seem to dominate those platforms when most of the people really you know they watch they may not engage but you know they're they're paying attention how do you not take those types of things to heart in the in the environment, the current you know societal environment we're living in, and all the social media nonsense? Oh, they totally hurt my feelings all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna title the episode Stacy Peterson. Everyone hurts my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be, like, I'll be like, wow, that really hurt my feelings. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um couple of things is I, you know, when you speak at a conference, they, I hate it when they send me the reviews because I will literally get every time 99% positive review. And there will be one person who hates me. And as a teacher, <laughs> who do I focus on? I can tell you every negative comment I've probably ever been given. Uh, but I've never, you know, with the positive, I don't focus on that. Um, it totally hurts my feelings. Some people like legit don't care. So for me, I had to recognize a couple of things. I'm not there for them. I'm there for somebody, for the people that I am helping, whether that's on social media or in person or whatever. Um, people put other people down to make themselves look smarter or better. So that person has an issue where they feel like they need to put somebody down to make themselves look like they're more intelligent. But the reality is, is that I'm the one that's putting myself out there. It's really easy to make judgments on the keyboard, right? Then yep. to be the one up there. And sometimes what I have to do, and I have done it, is if they make a really negative comment, like say on my YouTube, I'll click on their channel. You know, I'll click on their icon and when it shows zero videos or one videos, it's like <laughs> they don't know the process. They don't know what it's like. They don't do what I do. And so they don't know. So they don't have a voice. The people that I choose to listen to are those who are better than me um, or are those who say, wow, this helped me because of such and such. And again, awesome. it goes back to that sense of purpose. It goes beyond my personal comfort because I would love to be a hermit and hide in the woods and not have anybody hurt me and, you know, just like do how I grew up, like where you just grow veggies and everything's fine. Uh, so, but I have a sense of purpose. Um, and so I focus on that. And sometimes I really think through my content as well. Like if I know I'm going to say something controversial, I have to prepare myself. Of, like I really think about it for a day or two or three. Do I really want to get into it? Right. If the answer is yes, then I remember why. I kind of have a why. But even during the middle of it, you know, the controversy or whatever, and the comments, I'm like, 
still in my feelings. You don't know who I am. You know? <laughs> so it's that sense of purpose, I guess, is a, that was a really long way of saying it's a sense of purpose of why I'm no. No, it, it's awesome. And it's something as I've taken some, you know, new steps in my life, I, I think about, but not worried about, um, I really appreciate your time. Um, I want to echo your statement that you said on gratitude. Um, I think that's an awesome way to get, to get started when you're trying to get over there. And for anybody listening, I have a recommendation. It's called the five minute journal. Um, I'll find a link for it along as long along with all of uh, Stacy's other uh, you know social media links that I'll have in the show notes, and it's kind of and it's personally helped me. You start your day and end your day going through a handful of things that you're thankful for. What are, what are you looking forward to the day? And then at the end of the day, before you go to bed, you go, "Hey, this is kind of how the day happened," and I think it's a good way to get the mindset straight. But for anybody that wants to uh, to reach out and connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, you, uh, Julia, like, I don't know. Oh, no, we're getting ready to do, hold on, here comes the ghost story. We're going to do a seance here. Let me go get the Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, I think you can get my social media. Uh, the only one I'm not on is Twitter. Twitter and I broke up a couple years ago. Uh, Good for you. <laughs> like, I can't. So, um, I have a massive following on Twitter, too. I think it's like 200 people. <laughs> but You beat um, me. <laughs> You know, I'm on the Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. I really love to connect via YouTube. You can email me, my website. I don't know, you know, whatever. Reach out. <laughs> Sounds good. Nope. And again, I'll make sure all the links are going to be in the show notes and everywhere this will be distributed at. So again, Stacy, super appreciative of your time. Thanks for, thanks for coming by. Thanks so much for having me.